most of you guys probably know Caleb because he's, uh, he's not famous, he's infamous for causing trouble uh, all over town. Good trouble. In fact, he, did, he couldn't even keep it in this town. He had to take trouble up to Kansas and all other places. I brought, so. some, I brought some Kansas folks up. Hey, all right. Welcome, Kansas. Uh, so anyway, I'll turn it over to uh, Pastor Caleb. Glad to be here. Hey, how's everybody this morning? Doing well? All right, yeah, everybody's excited. All right, uh, I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a device or whatever you want to go there, you can look at that. But uh, uh, I've been tasked with the, the topic of man of the family. And the me, immediately what I thought of when, I, when that, I, that topic was handed to me was when I was a kid, um, when my dad would go on business trips or he'd go to town for a couple days, he'd tell me, hey, son, he'd sit me down and we'd, look eye to eye and he'd look at me and say son you're the man of the house anybody else had that happen a couple of you okay well that's what dad that's what dad would tell me he said you're the man of the house now did that mean i was in charge i mean think about it am i am i over my mom in authority when i was 14 13 12 no but what he was trying to do he was preparing me for the role of being the man of the house. He was giving me just a, a test run, a dry run of this, uh, is a lesson of leading and being a servant to be willing to help my mom do the things around the house, make my bed, uh, do, the, do the dishes, do things like that that, that were helpful, but servant, I, this, this idea of servant leadership. And, and so that was, that was the attempt of, of what my dad was doing. And so I thought of that process uh, but Vody Bauckham, him, I don't know if you guys know who Vody is, but Vody says, It has been said that as goes the family, so goes the world. And it can also be said that as goes the father, so goes the family. So the Lord Jesus Christ has tasked us as men to lead our families. And, and that's more than just making money. Amen? That's more than just, uh, you got to make, make a paycheck. We've got to do more than just just lay out some cash. That's, 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 there's more to it than that. We've been called to lead our families in all areas, and, and, and that demands a level of sober-mindedness. Amen? Amen. That, that, there's, a, there's a level of sober-mindedness that, that's needed in order to, to do this well. Um, not only sober-mindedness, but self-control. And, that's, and listen, we live in a culture right now, we live in a culture that is not... Self-controlled, amen? Not, not at all. And we, we currently, as humanity, we, you and I are sitting in a season and a time um, when people are hostile to the idea of the gospel, hostile to the idea of biblical living, hostile to the idea of holiness and, and separate living. Um, Spurgeon once said that as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are massively and utterly deceived. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. But here's the deal. Those of us that have been redeemed and set apart by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ have a different calling. We have a different direction. We have, a, we have been placed on, our feet placed on a different path. So, we're going to start in 1 Peter. And I, I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. And then I'm going to back it up, up into the upper part of 1 Peter. But we're going to start in verse 13. And the first thing you see in verse 13 is this word, therefore. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. 
So therefore, now when you see the word therefore in the text, that means you have to pay attention to what was said beforehand. Amen. You got you to see what's going on prior to this text. What, what went on beforehand? So I want us to jump back up to verse three in first Peter, where it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I want to pen that one verse in your mind for just a moment, because um, when we see this, this idea of he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that, that idea, that, that one idea that Jesus Christ has caused us as men to be born again to a living hope. Now, what do we need to do? Go back to verse 13. Go, yeah, therefore, now we go back to the verse 13. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, therefore, because of that very fact in verse, thir- or verse 3, we have this hope, brothers. We have this, li- not just any kind of hope, it's living hope. Amen? It's not just sort of kind of passive um, hope that's sitting on the corner, but this is active, engaging, living hope. And because of the finished work of Jesus Christ has literally brought you and I back from the dead. Like that's, and I, listen, I know that some, it's early morning, but that should get some of us just fired up inside that we've been brought back from the dead. Like we were on the trajectory of hell and death and Jesus says, no, nope, we're not going to do that. And he pulls us out of that position and places us in the, 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 the person and the work of Jesus. And now we are living in the midst of hope that will never be extinguished. Amen. Like that should get us excited. And so Jesus, or, uh, as, as Peter writes this, he says, Oh, it was Jesus. Go, just go for it. Prepare yourself to take action against what? Take, prepare yourself for what? The idea of this is to keep yourself separate from sin and the world. Prepare your mind for actions and be ready and be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself against sin. Get ready to make war on sin. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we like to do as men. We'll point out everybody else's sin. I can see Chancey be like, let me tell you about Chancey's sin. Right? I can do that because Chancey's a member of my church. So I get to, I'm going to pick on him this morning. So he's my, he's my guy this morning. I'm going to pick on him. Yeah, he's... he's right? He's right. It's good. So the idea is we like to pick out other people's sin. But the idea in the text is prepare yourself to make war on your own sin first. If we can make war on our own sin and get our own stuff situated, guess what? Then we can see clearly to help our other brothers who maybe have a speck in their eye because we've got a whole log jammed in our face. We miss our log. We say, oh, Sean's got a speck. Let me go tell you about Sean. Let me tell you about Chansey. Well, well, listen, dum-dum, you've got a giant log hanging out of your face. Oh, yeah. Let me get that. Let me make war on that first. Prepare yourself. Get ready to to make war against sin in your own life. Be sober-minded like you're in a war. Because, listen, gentlemen, we're in a war, amen? Like, it's a real, like, it's more 
graphic and more hellish than anything that Ukraine and Russia could throw at anybody right now. And here's the deal. All these things that are happening in the world are all behind the scenes. There's, there's a bigger war at play. Even the stuff with Russia and Ukraine, all that other stuff, there's a lot of that stuff behind the scenes. The enemy's trying to do some big time stuff. The enemy has a goal. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his goal, right? He wants to tear stuff up. Now, what do we need to be doing? Be sober-minded. Be prepared for action. So, you say, okay, look, you've said that a bunch today. How? What do we need to do? Well, I'm glad you ask. Number one, know your surroundings. Know your surroundings. Prepare yourself by knowing your surroundings. Peter again calls us in chapter 5, verse 8. If you look in, in, in Peter, first, or 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, be sober-minded. So he says this again in the end. He starts in the beginning of 1 Peter 1, says, hey, be sober-minded. And at the end of chapter 5, he says, hey, be sober-minded. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour if you were actually in a physical war, like I want you guys to transport your minds to an actual physical war, and you were told by your commanding officer to stay alert because your very life depends upon it, would you ignore that idea if you were in the trenches? I just finished watching All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix, and it's just a stunning graphic film. Um, gut-wrenching. Um, in the trenches. And I can tell you, if your commanding officer looked at you while you were in those trenches and said, listen, pay attention to your surroundings. There's an enemy that's going to try to kill you. Be like, oh, that's nice, commanding officer. I appreciate that, but I'm busy thinking about other things. You wouldn't do that. You'd be like, okay, yes, sir. I'm going to be paying attention. Because here's the deal. You and I are in the trenches. We're in the trenches. Amen, Trevor? We're in the trenches. And I'm telling you, the enemy is lobbing bombs and some of us are just, when's this thing going to be over with? I got to get my next thing. Listen, we got to prepare our minds and we prepare our minds by soaking up the word of God. We've got to, we got to, we'll talk about that in a second, but you know your surroundings. You'd be on point if you were actually in a physical war. If we were all together and we were gathered together and there were trenches out here and we were in there with pistols and guns and knives and everything else and the enemy was coming over the hill, we'd be laser focused. Every, every rustling of a leaf, every sound, a, sni- a, a snapping twig. You, did, you, did you hear that? Did you hear that, brothers? Did you hear that? Everything. You'd be ready. Why? Because your enemy is on the move. And listen, the enemy ain't taking breaks. The enemy is not taking breaks. You see, the enemy does not take any time off from attempting to destroy and discredit you. The enemy wants to destroy and discredit. If he could discredit or destroy any of us in the room, he thinks or he feels like he's one. So Peter tells us, stay ready for action against, first of all, your own sinfulness. Stay ready and on guard against your own sinfulness and then stay sober-minded about who the enemy is and know what's going on around you. Like, pay attention to what's going on around you. Understand the idea of what's going on around you. So that's number one. Number two is know your weapon. If you're in a war, if you're in a battle, as a man of the family, you've got to know your weapon. You've got to know your weapon. We have to train ourselves. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says that this 
this thing that you're holding your that I'm holding in my hand, this right here is a sword. What do you do with a sword? Oh, Caleb, it's a decorative piece. I hang on the wall. No, a sword is used for battle. Amen? For offensive and defensive mechanisms, right? You, you block the enemy's blow and then you advance and go after the enemy. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's, that's it. We use that. That's the reason we use this like a weapon. And it has the power to destroy strongholds, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's, that's the truth. And when you're um, in the military, you're trained to use your weapon. I don't know if anybody in here is former military or active military. Thank you guys for your service. Seriously. Thank you. But you're, you guys were in the military. Did they make you take apart your guns and put them, put them together and put them? For 13 weeks straight now. Yeah. yeah. Why do they do that? Training. Training. You got to know your weapon. You got to know it. If, you, if I need to take it apart in the dark, I can. You, you know it intimately. You know it intricately. You know every detail about it. You can get that thing together. And you have to know it. Why? Why do you need to know your weapon well? You've got to use it well. You, there may be a moment and a time in war. You're going to have, man, I've got to get ready to go. But here's, what, here's what's happening in the world today. We're ignoring this weapon. We don't know this intimately. Most men struggle to, to, to quote any verses out of this. Well, oh, what verse was that? I can't remember. The enemy knows this thing like the back of his hand. Satan knows the Bible well. How do we know? Because he tempted Jesus using the word. But Jesus knew the word better. Amen? And we're called by God to know our weapon because the enemy, when he advances against us, we can be like, oh yeah, really? Not by might, not by power, but by thy word, says the Lord. Every, every word has power. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says the gospel has power. Has power. And so we're, we're called to train ourselves and to know this weapon backwards and forwards and be trained to be able to take this and, and use it in the darkness, in the light. Know it at all times. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 through 8 says... Have nothing to do with silly or irreverent myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life, but also to the life to come. Where's that? That's in First Peter, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. So this idea that, listen... We train ourselves, go to the gym, lift, put the, some creatine. Listen, I know, I know you think, oh, Caleb, I know you go to the gym. Look at you. <laughs> right? But some of us, some, I know some guys, man, they just, they, their life is, oh, we got to lift, man. We got to get those gains, baby. Let's go, right? We got to lift all the time. Let's get swole, right? That's, the, that's a, the scripture doesn't say that's not a bad thing. That It is of some value. But if you neglect the training of your spiritual muscles for your physical muscles, it, you got nothing. This thing, training yourself for godliness, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. We, we train ourselves for godliness by knowing God's word. We engraft God's word 
into into ourselves by reading it, meditating on it, studying it. Like you, you open this thing up and you read it. Caleb, I don't know if I have time. All of us in the room have time for what we, what, what we want to do. Dad used to say, you make time for what you want to do. Amen? Amen. You make time for what you want to do. And you say, well, I don't have time. I can promise you there will come a day when you and I will stand before the throne of God. And we're going to all, there's nobody in the room. Nobody in the room going, well, man, when I stand in front of God, I'm going to think about all those things I used to do. No. You're going to say, man, I wish I'd studied more. I wish I'd known God more intimately. And, and if you ask any military man their, uh, about their weapon, and you want to know about what the, what's going on, that weapon in, the, in war, was that thing with you all the time? You carried it with you at all times. I got another buddy that was in Afghanistan for two tours. He said, man, we slept with that thing. It was with me at all times. It was, I mean, it was like it was fused to his body. I guarantee the same idea. It was with you at all times. This is the idea in the text is that you're supposed to hold yourself and train yourself for godliness in such a way that this is so engrafted in your heart and your mind and life. If you need to, you don't have to open it up and read it and quote it. It's it. It's there. That you can just fire it off. Just fire it off around if I need to. Right? So infused is this to be in our lives that it's just going to be part of our bodies. You're... You, you and I have to realize that this thing is it's life or death. And, man, we train ourselves, but we're also, as fathers and, and men, to train the younger generation. you got kids. Some of you all got kids, grandkids. We're called by God to train our kids up, too. That's what we're called to. And here's the deal. Well, Caleb, I'm not very good at that. Well, by golly, you're gonna be in the, you'll be in the driveway teaching your kid all about that ball. Oh, here's how the intricacies of this and this and that and this and that. Oh, you'll train them how to hunt and get... Listen, am I against sports? Nope, love sports. Big basketball fan. Am I anti-hunting? Nope, love hunting. Think those are great. Once again, when a good thing replaces the best thing, that good thing becomes wicked. That's it. And, And I'm telling you, we're so... The enemy is really good at distracting us with good things. Because if he can distract you from, those good, from the best thing by just using dangling good things over us, man, he wins the battles. He, he wins the battles. And I can promise you in 10,000 years in the streets of glory, you're not going to be like, you remember that championship? You remember that hunting thing we went on? Nope. In 10,000 years in glory, you know what we're going to be remembering? How good Jesus is. How amazing the king is. Now we're not going to be thinking about The scripture says we're not going to think about this life that much. There's not, it's not, in fact, the, world, the word says it's not even worthy to compare with the glory that's in front of us. So we're not going to be saying, well, you remember that time on Saturday at the men's breakfast? You're not even going to be thinking about that. You know what you're going to be thinking about? You know what you're going to be thinking about? How amazing is King Jesus? Wow! Look at that! Whoa! We're going to be looking around heaven. There's, we're not going to be thinking about things that happen on earth. You remember back in 2020 during the pandemic? No. Why? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Way better. Way better. And I, I contend that, that none of us are going to be paying attention to these things. And so what do we need to be doing? Number one, we know our surroundings. Number two, we know our weapon. 
We get a hold of our weapon. We know that. Number three, know your brothers. Know your brothers. You want to be a family man? Listen, accountability is vital. You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good father? Get you a good group of men that's in your camp that's for, that are for you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Listen, there's coming some adversity in, in our lives. And I'm telling you, we are growing to the, the smaller and smaller minority. It's coming for us. Biblical Christianity is, there's a mark on biblical Christians. It, they're coming for us. And you know what we're going to need in these times? Each other. And guess what? It's sometimes just sitting around a table eating some good Mexican, just talking about the things that are going on in the world. Don't eat Mexicans. I'm just saying, <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. I, Mexican food, I have yeah. to preface that. You guys are out of control. You guys are out of control this morning. I know. He's a, he's a pirate. I can't help it. And when you're, in your, when you're in a war, you want to know who has your back. Like, I've seen those, you see Saving Private Ryan, those different movies, but hey, listen, I need, I need some sleep. What do they do? They didn't lay on the ground. They slept back to back. Resting against each other, holding that weapon, just resting against each other, holding each other up. You got to know who has your back. You got to know who has your back. And you want, you want to surround yourself with other guys who are doing these first two points well. Who know they're surrounded. You don't want some guy in the trenches that's like... Just not, just paying, not paying attention at all. Like, listen, if somebody's shooting at me, I don't want some guy over the corner, you know, scrolling his phone, looking at Instagram. Listen, listen that bullet almost hit me in the head. Well, I know, but I got to get another like. I got to find out the algorithm. No, like a brother's born for adversity because it's very likely that if you don't have a guy that's in your corner that knows his surroundings and knows his weapons, you and your friends could become cultural casualties. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You say, oh, Caleb, I've got 2,000 friends on social media. Look at me. (laughs) I don't care. Listen, most of those guys that are your friends on social media, they aren't going to, if you made a phone call in the middle of the night and said, listen, it happened. Things gone down. I need you. Oh, let me talk to you tomorrow. And guess what? They ain't going to call you back. A brother is born for adversity. Amen? A brother is born for adversity. And honestly, we as men do a poor job of having close friendships. Go to, go to Branson, and you look at those buses. When those buses pull up and they're going to those shows, you know who's coming out? A bunch of old women. There ain't no old men in there. All, women do a great job of community. If you, I, I promise you, if the women put on a, a women's conference here at this church or any other church, you have me hundreds of women coming here because they're like, I want to get together in fellowship. Men are like, no, I want to be left alone. And I get that. I get that. But I'm telling you, from a biblical worldview, we need each other. We do. God created us for community. And we as men do a crummy job 
of community. Because, man, we don't want to be vulnerable. We've been tasked or we've been put in, this idea has been put in front of us that, man, you're not supposed to be vulnerable. Men don't cry. Men don't have emotions. You're the rock. Stand up. Be the man. Right? That's what we're told. But listen, anybody in the room had moments where you just break down and you cry and it hurts? Anybody? Me? <laughs> Nobody yeah, nobody wants. Oh no! God, I can't raise my hand in here. I can't raise my hand in here. No, somebody might think I'm vulnerable. Listen, I've had moments where it's snot, nasty, crying. I can't control myself. I'm shaking. You know why? Because I'm human. Because I'm. I have a soul. Some I have a soul, and it just it hurts sometimes. But we do a poor job of this, man. I'm telling you, we're we're so guarded. Because here's the deal. How many of us in the room have been wounded when we've been vulnerable? Come on. Yeah. You, you share a little bit and somebody's like, oh, let me use this as an opportunity to just whack this guy to the, to the floor. Right? It's happened. But Proverbs chapter 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. We're called to be a part of a biblical masculine community. And it's for our own good. To be able to be vulnerable and talk about things that are not more than just surface level is vital to to our growth. And sometimes, is it difficult? Yes, sometimes it's difficult. But God's called us to step into a biblical masculine community for our own good. And and, and it's, it's to sanctify us. It's to set us apart. It's to make us holy. And listen, furthermore, and when we read, I'll keep reading here in a minute. True masculinity can only be relayed to you from a masculine source as a man. Now, I know we live in a crazy, ridiculous, stupid culture that is trying to tell us that men don't need to be men. And that it's shameful that you're masculine. What's the toxic masculinity? (laughs) Listen, true masculinity can only be relayed to you as a man from a masculine source. Femininity cannot dictate or determine what true masculinity actually is. And we live in 2022 and we need to hear this. We live in a culture that, that needs to hear this. Masculinity comes from masculine sources. A woman can't tell you what it's like to be a, a man. And furthermore, let me just flip it on the other side. I have no clue what it's like to be a woman, thank God. I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. And I don't want to know what it's like to be a woman. I'm, 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 I'm married to one, and I'm telling you, there's days I'm like, oh, what's going on in that brain, baby? I don't say that, though. Right? Right? You know. And this is the deal. We, we need to stop allowing culture to try to tell us who and what a man is. And we need to go to the maker of men and go to the manual for men and find out what it is to be a man. Amen? Furthermore, we, we need each other. We need each other. We need solid men in our camps to help us to get to where we need to go. And, and I contend that if... We are doing these three things, verse 14 through 16, becomes just natural for us. 
Verse 14 through 16 are just a natural thing. As obedient children, if we're doing these first three things that I've talked about, knowing your surroundings, knowing your weapon, and knowing your brother, verse 14, as obedient children, be, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you to, who is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy as I'm holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with, per- with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, I'm telling you guys, this, is, this becomes normal. This is what we should be doing. Knowing your surroundings, knowing your weapon, knowing your brothers. And when you and I, as men of the family, are doing these three things, this equips us in such a way that we will not succumb to the powers of this present age. It's just the truth. We will not be... Ruled and controlled by our own selfish desires, number one. And we'll strive for holiness. And listen, that's not a bad thing. Striving for holiness should be a normal thing in a Christian man's life. That should look normal. Amen? That, that it should. We will we'll strive for holiness when, we're, when we know our surroundings, when we're paying attention to the things that are going on around us. We're going to be hyper aware of our sinful Selves. And we're going to be like, okay, I know, my, I know my proclivities. I know where I'm sinful. I know where I have, I know where I have desires. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to go to this place. I'm not going to be a part of that. It's called separate living for a reason. We're separate from the world. We're to look different from the world. Amen? You know why we're not pushing for holiness in our churches? Because we're not pushing for holiness, is it? holiness in our homes. We like to sit and watch rated M shows. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm a pastor and I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, here, here's, let me just bear my soul and be vulnerable for a minute. Here I am. We like watching those shows that push out filth. Because it feeds part of our selfish sinful natures and then we wonder why our city is falling apart because i'm not really doing anything to keep myself separate i'm enjoying looking at stuff online i'm enjoying watching tv shows that probably you know in the react hey if jesus was sitting next to you would you watch that well probably not probably not well, the reality is Christ goes everywhere you go. And I know that, oh, that's cliche and silly, Caleb. I know it sounds that way, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And what we've done is we've tried to silly that thing up and make it a, a hyper silly, goofy idea. Oh, Jesus is with you everywhere you go. You know, the Simpsons made that thing where, what's, what's his name? He stands outside the window. He's like, Jesus is watching you. And we're like, ha ha, that's funny. Well, it's true. It is. It's true. All the time. All the time. And listen, that's the idea of the text where he says that you conduct yourselves in fear. Why? Because there's coming a day when you and I are going to have to stand before the judgment scene of God. Period. 
and we're going to have to do it alone. And, and, and listen, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you. I'm preaching to myself here. As I was writing this a couple days ago, and I was like, oh, dang. Serious, Holy Spirit? Okay, fine. We got to do better here, man. We got to do better. But when we're doing these, these, uh, these things that I mentioned earlier, we're, we're going to understand the truth. We're going to understand that at the end of all of this, you and I are going to stand before Jesus alone. Period. You and I are going to stand before God alone. And I'm not going to have, hey, Thomas, come here and stand with me, buddy. Come on, hurry. You'd be like, no, I got my own stuff. I got my own. Listen, my wife, I'm not going to be able to go, but, but Jesus, my wife. And? But, but Jesus, my kids. And? But Jesus, my friends, and you don't get to make those excuses. You and I will stand before a holy God and we have to give an account alone. Think about that for a second. Like that's gravity. You're like, oh, Caleb, it's heavy stuff. Listen, it is a heavy thing to be a man of God. It is. Your sin will either be covered by the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross, or you're going to hell to, to finish out your sentence for eternity for your sin. That's it. That's it. There's no other option. How do we get to a place of perfection? Because that's what Jesus demands. Christ has to take our place. We must be indwelled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the only way that happens is through the repentance of sins and trusting and obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's simple, but yet it's hard, right? It's a simple thing to, for me to say, this is what you got to do, guys. Trust and obey. Be like, oh, really? Okay. When we're doing these three things, when we're knowing our surroundings, knowing our weapons, and knowing our brothers, our personal conduct is going to look different. Our pursuit of holiness is going to be real. And we who are ransomed by God are called to be different. You say you belong to Jesus, look like it, talk like it, act like it. We're called to do something different. We're called to sound different. We're called to be different. And Jesus calls us something interesting. He calls us salt and he calls us light. What does salt do? It preserves. It's a preservative agent that, you, that you're to permeate the culture and to preserve righteousness and holiness. Is that what's going on in the world today? How's that working out for us? Are we, are we, are we salty? Man, I never thought, I, I heard about this the other day. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot. Lot was supposed to be, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. But he wasn't very righteous in the town. What did he do? When those angels came to his house, all those men descend on his place of residency. And they say, hey, Lot, send those two good looking men out here so we can have sex with them. And what does he do instead of standing up and saying, hey, listen, repent and believe the gospel. Instead of that, he only walks out and goes, brothers, don't do this. Here's my daughters. Do with them as you please. What? Where does that 
come from? And the Bible says he's a, he's a righteous man. I don't want to be like Lot. Well, I'm, just, I'm getting into heaven by the hair, just, just, just by the hair on my backside, and I'm here. No. I want to look different. Amen? Amen. I want to be a man who, who, I want to be a Gideon. When God says, go tear down the altar to Baal, baby sacrifice, and Asherah, the, Ashtar, the, the worship of sex, go tear those two things down. Go rip them apart. I want to be a Gideon. I, don't want, to be, I want to be a man who's known for, you say, well, Caleb, why is Christians always harping on abortion and, and sexuality? Because those are the two main things that are prevalent in everyone's lives. All of us were born. Amen? Yeah. We're all there. And by God's grace, I'm, listen, I'm thankful. Like, listen, sex is going to be a, a part of everyone's life. It just is on some level, somewhere, somehow. It just is. Those are the two main things that make us who we are. God, and listen, God created both those things and they're gifts. What has Satan done? He's twisted them and jerked them up and just made them look ridiculous. That's what he does. Satan takes gifts from the Lord and turns them into horrible things. God gives us good food. What does Satan do? Gluttony. God gives us sex. What's he do? Turn it into prostitution. Or whatever. Into Romans 1 turns it in from sexual revolution to the homosexual revolution to the weird, pedophile, crazy stuff. Oh, Caleb, that will never happen in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're on the precipice of legalizing pedophilia. Oh, no, that's, no way, Caleb, that's not happening. Do some check. Do some checking. See what they're doing. What they do just in California in Prop 1... You can kill a baby as it's coming out of the womb at nine months. That's, that's, that's hellish. Who, who's the author of these things? Satan. Satan. And he's using the same stinking tricks that he's always used in culture. Judges 6, he was doing the same thing. Baby sacrifice and the worship of sex. And what's, is consequently, those two things are linked together. Because when you have sex, you have babies. They have giant sex orgy parties in Judges 6. Talked about that, after the worship of Ashtar. And then, well, I don't want this baby. We'll send the baby through the fires of Baal. Then you get comfort and financial peace. Because babies are expensive. Well, duh. So are you. But your parents didn't kill you. Now, there may have been days they may have wanted to. Right? Any, 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 any dads say amen to that? You got kids, you're like, man, those days. Right? But you didn't, praise God. We as Christian men are to be different. Close set. And how do we do that as, as family, as men of the family? Pray with your kids, pray with your wives. And even if it's messy and doesn't look right, you know, Caleb, I'll probably mess it up. Yeah, you will. You're not going to say the right thing. You're going to pray. And it's going to sound goofy, but that's okay because it's not for your kids and for your wife. It's for your own for your own sanctification. And as you lead out, it's going to help your kids. It's going to help your wife. 
Ask me how I know. Because sometimes, Noah's in here. Some days, it's not the most pretty prayer when I'm praying. It's just like, okay, God, today is a mess. Help me. Forgive me. And, I, and I, I'll confess my sins while I'm praying. Lord, forgive me for my lust today. Forgive me for my pride and my arrogance. My, when I lost my temper and I got angry and I said that cuss word, God, forgive me. God, where I, where I wasn't nice today, forgive me for that. Where I was mean to my kids, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Where I was mean to my wife and I said some things to my wife I shouldn't have, God, please forgive me. That's how men become strong. Because when you're weak, then God's strength comes through you. Then what? Take the enemy out. And that's how we do this, one at a time. Gatherings like this where we say, okay, today's the day. I'm going to make that commitment, God. My, my, my strength is not going to be in my own hands, but God, it's in you. What can, I, what can you do through me? He said, well, what can God do through me? Look at the 12 disciples. You talk about a hot mess. That was a group of a crazy group of men. They, none of those guys could have got jobs at any churches, maybe not even some corporations. But what did Jesus like? Yep, I want that one. Well, that, one, that guy has got a horrible resume. Yeah, I know. Watch what we're going to do through him. It's going to be incredible. Bunch of dirty fishermen. Let's go, baby. Amen. I means Christian men should look different. Father, thanks for the day. Thanks for this group of men. Pray that you guard our minds and our hearts. You'd help these men to, to do what you've called them to do. That you'd use them in, in a mighty way, Father. That we would be agents of transformation in the culture today. And that we would be Gideons. That we would not, not be Lot. That we would not be haphazard in our, in our approach to, to pursuing holiness and knowing you. God, forgive me and cleanse me where I have not done that. Help me as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, and as a man of the community to be salt and be light for those around me. For your glory and for your glory alone, we do this, Jesus. We pray this. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks, Caleb.